Okay, everybody, welcome. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you. And uh, glad you're all here. You can make it out. Without further ado, let's begin in prayer. Father, thank you for a chance to gather, an opportunity to gather, and a place to gather. We thank you for your presence here with us. We ask that you would lead us, guide us, inspire us. We pray, God, that we would have just an open heart, an open mind to receive what you want to say tonight. I pray, God, also for us to be challenged, that you would challenge us uh, in maybe areas of our life that uh, need to be tweaked or changed, uh, thinking that may need to be challenged just towards something else. I just ask you tonight that we would uh, receive of you and that we would leave here pondering and changing maybe something about how we're seeing things or understanding things. So God, ask, ask that you'd have your way. We pray, God, that you'd be glorified. Pray, God, your power and your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. If you have Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 23. If you need a Bible, they're available over here on the table. You can feel free to grab one. Luke chapter 23 and verse 24. As you're turning there, just a quick reminder. Uh, we do have an interactive feature for our Bible study through a website called SpeakPipe at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word, strung together. And you can leave a voicemail type message with a question or a comment and be a part of what we're doing. Luke chapter 23 and verse 24. Thanks. So this is when Jesus is before Pilate, just to set up the verse a little bit. I assume that most of you would know what this would be referring to. Pontius Pilate makes like one appearance in the scriptures. He had uh, one thing that he was involved in, and that was the trial of Jesus. After Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the leader of the Sanhedrin, he was questioned, he spoke in some, some of the Gospels, and he was found guilty, and he was also slapped in the face at least once, and then he was taken to Pilate. Uh, part of the reason for that was because the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, even though they were their own court, and in times past they would have been able to pass judgment on Jesus and have it carried out, that he would be executed, uh, because they were under occupation by the Romans, they no longer had that right to do that. And so they could pass judgment and they could say what they believed and what they wanted, but ultimately he had to be taken to the Roman authorities and the Roman authorities were the only, was the only authority that could actually execute somebody because they were actually in charge. So he was taken before Pilate, as most of you know, and uh, he wasn't really tried, he was questioned and Pilate, if you look in other spots besides Luke, and really Luke, this is how he handled this. This is what this all Luke said about it. Now you look in John, I think there's 19 verses that, that, that describes what actually happened through this time frame. But in Luke, it's just one verse. But in those 19 verses, what we find out is that Jesus was sent away. 
He was flogged. He was mocked. He was beaten. And then he was brought back before final judgment was pronounced. And there were reasons why Pilate did that. Now, I'm going to make a controversial statement right here. Kind of a, I guess, a weird statement. But Pilate, in some ways, and you can agree or disagree with this, I don't care, it's fine. Uh, to me, Pilate, in some ways, is a sympathetic figure. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that I don't know that he's a likable figure, which some people would define sympathetic by, or a lovable figure, which some people would define sympathetic as, but I believe that he's someone that we can, in some ways, identify with. And I'll explain that as we go through the study. But I wanted to start with that because I want you to think about Pilate and the place that he was put. I want you to think about the position that he was put in. And then I want you to think about the decision-making process that he went through. If you know the story, you can have a pretty good background as to what the decision-making process was that he was going through. And then ultimately the decision that he made and why he made it. Because all those are kind of interesting study in human dynamics. Because Pilate had people that he answered to. He may have been a governor and he may have been in charge of this region, but there was somebody over him. In the Roman Empire, very hierarchical. And so there were people over everybody until you got to Caesar. And in some iterations of the Roman Empire, there wasn't even just one Caesar, but there were, though there would be two or three that would be co-equals that would keep each other in check. And so the Roman Empire, in a lot of ways, had some checks and balances over it. And Pilate was part of that. And so he had some concerns about those that were overseeing him about some of the decisions that he would make here. He also had concerns about keeping peace. And you think about governmental authorities, uh, what we would call here like the police. The police are interested in keeping the peace. Now, how does that in some ways, and I want to, you can think about this for a second, how does that in some ways differ from justice? Can it be the same thing? I guess it could be the same thing, but it's not always the same thing, is it? Keeping the peace is not always justice. And, and if you, if you consider that really, what police officers are doing out there, they're keeping people safe, but their, their main job is that they're hired by the government. They answer to the government, not to you and me. As much as they, you know, and, and I'm not putting down police officers or anything, I just want you to understand, they answer to the government. They work for the government. And their job in working for the government is to keep the peace. That's their job. So, you wonder sometimes, well, why would they do that? Because that's their job. You wonder sometimes, well, why didn't they do something about this? Not their job. Well, how can they let that happen? Because they're just doing their job. And, and I think we get disillusioned sometimes about what we expect from police officers because we're looking at it and saying, well, we have this idealistic view or we have this, this way of seeing them that maybe we were taught when we were little kids that this is what police do. Well, it's not what police do, likely. Likely, what, what we need to understand about what police do is they work for the government and their job is to keep the peace, regardless of what that means. 
And so if you see it through that lens, and you begin to understand it through that lens, a lot more things make sense as to what happens. You know, thinking back to you know, some of the things that had happened uh, even recently in this country with uprisings, things that happened in this country with protests, things that have happened in this country with all kinds of things. And, and why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do this? How come they aren't doing this? Why aren't they over there doing that? Why is this, 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 this? Well, they're keeping the peace. Well, how can they let people destroy businesses keeping the peace rather than starting a war? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? And so looting, destruction of business, all this kind of stuff was happening. No one's doing anything about it because they're not going to start a war. They're just going to keep the peace. That's all they're doing. So, why am I telling you that? Get back to Pilate. Pilate is the government. And he worked for the government. And the government he worked for was over a region, an area, and over an empire. And so there were levels of government that were over him that he was accountable to and he was answerable to. Not trying to make any excuses for him, just letting you know. Because we're going to look at Pilate in a few minutes and, and, and really begin to think about why he made the decision he made. Because what I hope that does for us is begin to help us to understand why we make the decisions we make sometimes. And in some cases, I want to challenge us, I want to challenge me, I want to challenge you that there's a bigger decision that needs to be made. There's a greater decision that may need to be made in our lives because of who we're affiliated with. And so sometimes we can't just keep the peace. And sometimes we can't just go with the flow. And sometimes it's not, it's not appropriate for us to just not say anything to stay out of trouble. But sometimes the situation requires us to say something. And so I want to challenge some of those ideas in us. And, and you may think to yourself, well, I'm not the kind of person that makes waves. I Okay, I get it. Because some of us are. We're just non-confrontational. Some of us, we don't like to be the center of attention. Some of us, we don't like to get in arguments. We don't like to, to get into any kind of disputes or anything like that. We don't like it at all. And I get that. I get that. And, and I, I'm not trying to change your personality. But I do want to challenge you that there are those moments that we need to seize in our lives because they come up. Let's look at a few verses. Well, before we do that, let me talk to you about uh, giving people what they want. <clears throat> do people always want the best for themselves? No. So why do we give people what they want? Keep the peace. Keep the peace. Why is the customer always right? You keep the peace to make the money, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so there is an economy, economy, to keeping the peace. That's why the government wants the peace kept, because there's an economy to it. And so for us as individuals, there's an economy to it too. For us to keep the peace with those people around us, what's the economy that we keep? What, what do we gain? By keeping the peace. Think about it. 
I'm not talking about money now. This is a different kind of economy. This is what? Energy. We may not just want it. We don't want to expend the energy trying to argue about it or trying to discuss it or trying to uh, figure out. Now, those of you that are married, you figured that out a while back. Probably if you've been married long enough, there are some things worth talking about and fighting about, and there's some things not worth talking about and not worth fighting about, and you figure that out, and so you learn to keep the peace. Now, the problem with that is, is that if you do that too much, you kind of lose yourself a little bit. That's part of the problem with that. Now, when you came into the relationship with somebody else, you came into that relationship as two individuals, 100% me, 100% you. I never believe marriage is 50-50, because it's not. It's 100-100. you got two distinct individuals coming together to share their lives together. And so as, as happens, there's a negotiation process that takes place. Something's going to be more important to me. Something's going to be more important to you. Some things I'm going to take a stand on. Some things I'm not going to take a stand on, because I don't care. And so those kind of things get worked out over time. They're rough edges. We get sandpaper or whatever. We're working it out, smoothing it out. That's okay. But what happens over time, if we gain some idea in our head that is not worth it anymore and we're just going to keep the peace, we have to ask ourselves, at what cost? Because there's a cost that we really, really shouldn't pay. There is a cost. And when we begin to lose ourselves, when we begin to become less than we really are as an individual, just for the convenience of keeping the peace, we begin to lose ourselves there. And there's something fundamentally, fundamentally sick about that. And so... Nope. No, <laughs> no. Marriage actually is a great process that we go through, and there's a lot of things to learn through that. And it can be learned in other relationships too. It's not just marriage. But there, the, I just picked that because there's a lot of really obvious things about it. And if you know people, let's say you're not married, but you know people that get married, and you see them change over time. That person you've known, especially like if you had a best friend that got married before you got married, and you watch them change, it's like this person you've known your whole life all begins to become somebody they're not. And and likely, part of the reason, I'm not saying the whole reason, but part of the reason for that is they just get worn down. And they just give up different parts of themselves. They give up things that they think. They give up certain things that are, that are about them. And what's kind of ironic about that is that they were attracted to and the other person was attracted to them as who they were. And so then as they begin to change, you have to wonder, like, are they still attractive to the other person? Well, somewhat. Then you're kind of in it by then, so Whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that that person was attracted to you for a reason. You were attracted to them for a reason. And you begin to lose part of yourself, or they begin to lose part of themselves. They become less than what they were when you met. And I just want to encourage you, don't let that happen. It's worth it. And I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about fighting all the time. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just talking about just being you. 
I'm not about just living your life. I'm talking about just, just keeping the distinctiveness of who you are as an individual. It's worth it. Whether it's a friendship, it's a relationship, whatever it is, it's worth it. I mean, I've known people over the years, they just start dating someone and they change. And to me, that's insanity. To me. I'm just, I'm telling you the absolute truth and I can get, you can argue with me all you want, I don't care. But that is insanity. You know a guy your whole life, he's one of your best friends, he starts dating a girl, all of a sudden you never see him anymore and he's a different person. Something is messed up with that. I'm telling you. Messed up. And I've seen it so many times, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to watch it. It's frustrating to live it. It's frustrating to see somebody just disappear like that. Poof. Where'd he go? I don't know. Yeah, but when he reemerges after the divorce, are you going to build him back up? I don't know. Because I've seen that too. How long can you be not yourself? I don't know. I don't know. You just become somebody else. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there can be restoration. And and I've seen that too. But all of that has to take place within the love, the grace, the mercy, all that is or should be a part of whatever relationship we're talking about. You know, hopefully... In a mature relationship, it doesn't happen to begin with. Unfortunately, most relationships are fairly immature. And so it just does. So the fear of man is a snare. And it leads to poor decisions and actions. I mean, for example, in this example, Pilate declares Jesus is innocent. In fact, he said, I find no fault in him. That's what he found. He's a grown man, right? He is a grown man. He has risen to the point of being a political leader over a whole region of the world. He is a grown man. He has armies at his disposal. Soldiers. At his command, people go and come. At his command, people kill another person. I mean, the guy is a grown man. And he makes the the declaration that Jesus is innocent and no fault. And yet, yet, Jesus is crucified. There's that scene that, that we read about in the scriptures where he washes his hands of the situation. I don't want any responsibility in this anymore. Well, unfortunately... He's a grown man. And he, he's, he's got a decision to make. And he is responsible. He carries the burden of responsibility. Even though the, the people are shouting, even though the people are, are upset, even though the people are on the verge of riot, even though the people are threatening to take this to his authority, threatening to get him in trouble, for, for making the wrong decision. Even all those things are happening. He is still a grown man with an opinion that he can't keep and refuses to keep. He could have kept it. 
He refuses to keep it. And so what we have here is that he's afraid of something. We don't know what he's really afraid of. He's afraid of the people that are there. They're yelling and screaming about the riot. He's afraid of the authority, the Roman authorities that are over him because they already threatened to take it to them and say that this man was speaking against Caesar and he did nothing about it. He was afraid of that maybe. Whatever he was afraid of, he was afraid of. But it completely changed from his opinion and his declaration of Jesus being innocent that he found no fault in him to take this man away and crucify him. In fact, he made several other decisions based on the crowd. He saw the crowd didn't want Jesus. He saw the crowd wanted him crucified. And so he sent Jesus off to be beaten and flogged and to be mocked. And all those things happening to Jesus, he sent him off that in the hopes of that after the crowd saw him beaten and saw that he had been punished, that they would change their mind and have some mercy on him. He was mistaken. It just, it just, it just riled him up even more. Crucifying. And so in his own political way, and do you understand the political side of this? He sent him away to be beaten and everything, hoping to save his life, and still couldn't do it. And this is why I see him as somewhat of a sympathetic figure, because we make these deals almost every day of our lives. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that, that and I'm not talking about being uh, diplomatic. That's one thing. I'm not talking about being courteous. I'm not talking about being nice to people or anything else. I'm just talking about you know something is right. You know something is true. Why are we negotiating that away? Why are we trying to politicize that away that we know that it's true? And someone's actually asking us our opinion. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying go out and pick a fight. I'm not saying go out and be rude to anybody. I'm not saying any of those things. Pilate was in a position that he was placed into. He had a steady and he had a right opinion about it. And he still couldn't keep that opinion. He tried to get political with it. He tried to to appease everybody. He tried to be nice to everybody. And in the end, it just ended right back up in his lap. He couldn't get them to change their minds. So he made a series of really poor decisions leading to really poor actions. And he wanted to say that it wasn't his fault. That's why he washed his hands. When it comes right down to it, he made the final decision. He couldn't wash his hands. Can you see any of this in you? Somebody else's fault? Well, I don't want any part of it. I don't have anything to say about that. Can you see that? That's why I see him as sympathetic. Not that I like him or love him or anything. I just can identify a little bit with some of his actions. He is a political animal. And maybe I'm not in that position, or maybe I don't have that same kind of authority, and I don't have armies at my command, but man, I've got my own economy. I've got my own cheese I'm protecting. My own reputation or my own position or the own, my own reputation of what people think of me. I got that. That's my economy. And so as we have our own economies of what we're trying to protect and what we're trying to grow and what we're trying to keep, we come up with strategies in order to stay out of trouble. 
But come up with strategies in order to, to keep the peace. And when we do that, we make some bad, some poor judgments, decisions leading to poor action. And so the crowd, the crowd, they're, they're, they were saying Jesus must be punished. They considered him to be an evil doer. To the point that they were given opportunity to replace Jesus with another guy who was a murderer, who, who was guilty of murder, robbery, and sedition. And so they could have replaced Jesus with this guy who was an obvious, obvious evildoer. He'd been found guilty of evil doing. So there's somebody, a murderer, all the rest of those kind of things, under the law, he deserved to die. And so Pilate gave him an opportunity to say, all right, here, we got this guy. He's bad dude. Why don't you let me switch out Jesus for him? I'll let Jesus go, but then we'll, we'll, we'll give this guy, he's going to go to the cross. So what do you think? What do you think? No? No. So he tried to even bargain with him. Using this other guy. Going to make a bargain. Going to say, this is how we're going to try to do it. Nope. Didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, a strong statement is made. Matthew 27, 26. In case this question ever comes up in your life. Matthew 27, 26. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Is there any more to it? Maybe I picked the wrong verse. That's Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Oh. Twenty-five. Excuse me. Twenty-seven, twenty-five. This is Pilate. He says, "Now this guy, I don't think he did anything wrong. It's not, you know, I don't find any fault in him." What does verse twenty-five say? Okay, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> okay, so if that ever comes up, you may want to use a little diplomacy in that, but you know, okay, that was a, re- a special request from the crowd. Special request from the crowd on this question of Jesus being let go or the other guy being let go. We want Jesus killed and may his blood be on us and upon our children. You got it. Okay. All right. So Pilate yielded. The, st- the stream was way too strong. And he was fighting against the stream. wasn't worth it to him. And he decided, all right, that's it. Blood be upon you and your children. You got it. So he released the other guy to him. And Jesus was taken. He delivered Jesus to their will as they required. That's what he did. So he had some fears, selfish fears. He feared for him and his family and his position and his job and all the rest of those kind of things. And they were all part of his fears. And so he just didn't fight the stream. He just let it go. Okay. It's the way it's going. That's the way it's going to go. Do you see how this is part of our life, though? I really want you to get a hold of this. 
Because we get these moments sometimes where we, we get the opportunity to stand. It's not every day, really, I don't think. I mean, maybe in little ways every day. But every now and then there's this opportunity that we can actually stand. We can actually say something that matters. We can actually comment on something that, that really means something. We can actually answer a real question in our life. And we're not just talking in cliches. We're not talking about the weather. We're not talking about kids. We're not talking about uh, our new shoes. We're not talking about uh, cars. We're not talking about the latest story about a soccer coach who was found with one of his soccer players in North Syracuse trying to go to Canada. We don't have to talk about latest news articles. We can actually talk about something that matters. If there's enough of us left to do it. If there's enough of us that remains, there's, a, there's enough of that person that, that really does exist somewhere that could actually just say something. Not to get in a fight, just to have an opinion. Just to answer a question. And maybe someone directly asked you, or the group you were sitting in. Yes, I agree with that. I don't agree with that. There it is. That's good. That's a great step right there. That you can actually say something that matters. And every one of us has that opportunity to do that. Unless the stream is just too strong. Unless fear takes over. And we're guarding our cheese of that stellar reputation we have. We're afraid everyone won't love us to death like they do now. We actually say something that matters. Maybe. We're fighting the same fears. We're fighting the same fears he was fighting. Worried about our family or worried about our job or worried about this or public opinion or whatever it is. That's what we're fighting. We're fighting. We're fighting. And yet, in a moment, we have an opportunity to stand up and say something that really matters. Well, Jesus died, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. He died. Pilate gave the sentence. In other words, he resolved, he determined, and he gave out the sentence. He pronounced the final sentence upon Jesus. And when he pronounced the final sentence on Jesus, he, he was sentenced to death, but in no way did Pilate ever condemn him. Like, seems like a nice guy to me. Take him to the cross. I don't know, I'm exaggerating that, but I want you to understand what happened there. I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Get the cross ready. I find no fault in him. Nail him up. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird, though? You think about how weird that is. Here's a man that has the authority of life and death in this situation... Believing one thing and saying and doing another. Weird. And yet, that's us. <laughs> we have the words of life and death in us. We, we have belief and, and we have understanding that other people don't have. And we're put in situations where we can speak directly into that. 
And we're standing there, it's like, I believe this, I have this thought, or this this belief, or this faith, and we're saying it, and then when we learn, we say, oh yeah, that's a good idea. And we know it's not. It's just as weird as what's happening here with Pilate. Just as weird as here's a man, there's nothing wrong with this guy, but we're going to crucify him anyway. That's that weird thing. I know what is life in this situation. That I'm hearing a conversation, I'm asked my opinion. I know what the words of life are in that, in that case. Am I going to say it? Am I going to say it? Or am I just going to go along with the crowd? So, I, I don't, I, I'm not saying this to make anybody feel badly at all, because we're all in the same boat. We're all doing this. I'm not trying to make anybody feel badly about it. I'm, I'm trying to encourage us to something better. Because if you want to say Pilate's mean and Pilate's evil and all the rest of that kind of stuff, well, don't be like him then. Then don't do it. Just be careful who you call evil and mean and everything. If, if really, he's, he's a super sympathetic character in this story that we're reading and we're living. That we're more like him than we want to admit. We're more like him than we want to say. Just be careful of that. Nobody likes Pilate. Okay? Nobody likes him. I mean, both sides didn't like him. The Jewish people were threatening him. Telling him, we're going to tell on you if you don't do this. Because they saw him wavering. Then you got the disciples and Jesus. Pilate, he's spineless. Because he can't even stand up and do what he's supposed to do here. And make the decision he knows is the right decision to make. So he comes off liked by who? Nobody. Nobody likes that. And so even to this day, Pilate, boo. Boo. Well, okay. But the reason we boo him, well, we kind of carry some of those same traits. Boo. Boo to you and me. Boo. Jeer. Hiss. Bad. <laughs> so Pilate confirmed the judgment of the Sanhedrin and gave him Barabbas. Give me Barabbas. You got him. Murderer, thief. Yeah, you got him. That's what you get. That's what you get. So I want you to consider a couple of verses. James 1 6. Somebody read that. James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. All right, read verse 11. I have a question mark by that, so maybe it's a good one. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, flowers fall, and feeding hair, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his presence. Thank you. That has nothing to do with that. All right, verse 6. However, 
I'm sure it made sense to me when I wrote it down. <laughs> but it doesn't right now, so I'm not going to worry about it. But James 1.6, it, it talks about our, the way we apply our faith, the way we live our life. Like, What does our faith mean? And, I, and read that not so much as that, that one little faith nugget you get when you need something. Read that as a lifestyle. And we're going to live by faith. Like it says in the scriptures that the just shall live by faith in Habakkuk. That we're going to make our life by faith. So decisions that we make, things that we need to do, things that we, ways that we need to see things, how we interact, how we love, all those things are done by faith. And so as you read in James 1.6, it talks about if you, if you live kind of half in and half out of faith, you kind of believe it, you kind of don't. You kind of see that, but maybe not. You know, and I always, I always think of people that do this. It's, you ever notice when people pray? Some people, when they pray, and, and I know I'm going to rip on somebody right now, and I don't mean to. Uh, yeah, maybe I do. I don't know, but don't, don't be too upset with me. Uh, but they'll, they'll pray, and they'll be like, Lord, I pray this, I pray this person, uh, would get up out of the wheelchair and walk, if it be your will. Um, yeah. That, that that's not the right prayer. Okay, because I always think of this verse when I hear people say stuff like that. That is a wavering faith. In other words, get up out of this wheelchair and walk. Unless, of course, God doesn't want you to, then just sit there. So I'll leave it up to you. Get up or don't. Because God might not like that. If you got up. So sit there. Because that's what they're saying. Alright? And, and most of us have been guilty of that at one time or another. But it is the, it is the, the prayer disclaimer. It's the faith disclaimer. Alright, I got enough faith to pray this out loud, but not quite enough faith to believe you can actually go and get up. So, here's how I'm going to disclaim that. That's wavering. By its very nature. That's just tossed to and fro. That's just a wavering faith. And that gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. And, and really, I, I see Pilate is like that too. He had his convictions. He knows what he believed and he couldn't follow it. He couldn't do it. He refused to. I use the word couldn't. I just mean he, he wasn't able. He, he didn't follow through with it. So he, he just he didn't live it. It didn't mean anything. And so your faith needs to mean something. You're going to say, I believe this? You're going to say, I'm convinced of this? You're going to say, this is, this is what I know? Then live it. Then live it. No disclaimers. Just live it out. And there's going to be days, and I'll tell you this, there's going to be days people agree with you, and there's going to be days that people don't agree with you. I've always been shocked. There's been certain times where I've taken a strong stand in public discourse with, with just situations and different questions come up, and I am shocked at the number of people that will agree with me in any given discourse. Like, well, and, and, I'll, and I'll say things. I'll say, this is what I believe, and I will speak only for myself right now. This is what I believe, and I will speak what I believe. And I'm always shocked at the number of people say, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Or if they don't agree with it, they'll say, well, I really respect the fact that you just said that. I don't agree with you, but I respect that you would say that. Well, yeah. 
What else are you going to say? You're going to mumble something under your breath? Hope nobody calls on you? You're out of class, okay? This isn't, this isn't uh, geometry class. Raise your hand, all right? You're in it. It's okay. So you get that opportunity, you get that time, somebody asks a direct question. What do you believe? Speak it. Those are the words of life. That's the truth. Just speak it. What if you're wrong? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Okay, somebody look at Ephesians 4.14. I don't have a question mark verse on this one. So we're just going to go directly to 14. And hopefully I wrote it down correctly. That we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. All right. So, so who are the people tossed to and fro? By people's opinions and schemes and, and all that kind of stuff. Who are the people who are being tossed to and fro? Immature. Huh? He's talking to us. But, but what's he saying? If you don't, you don't want to be doing it, well, how does he describe us when we're being tossed to and fro by every scheme and everything? Huh? Infants. Infants. Helpless little infants. Man, I saw the ugliest baby last night. I was at a... And I know everybody thinks babies are cute. This was an ugly baby. But anyway, whatever. Hmm? It does happen. And I, I you know, whatever. Well, yeah, it could probably be a beautiful woman. It was a girl, which I couldn't tell, but they had a ball on her head with a, you know, you know how they do that? Where they put this thing on them and it's like a ball on their head? She had the ball on her head. But it was a girl color, so I knew it was a girl. I said, yeah, well, whatever. Anyway. An ugly kid, but probably a beautiful adult, yes. Amen, brother. I'll never know, though, probably, so that's okay. We'll assume that. But anyway, infants, though, what's what's up with infants? Infants are helpless, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, human infants, we, we come out pretty helpless. And, and God just designed it that way. And we have to be taught everything, pretty much. We're not like wolves and, and other animals that you're born and you have this strong DNA understanding of the world and how to kill and eat and get your own food and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we don't have that. Infants aren't born with a fur coat on, usually. <laughs> Some are hairier than others, but most aren't born with a fur coat on. So they have to be wrapped and they have to be kept warm. And, and infants can't really see very well, usually. And they can't really get around by themselves. Newborns, you ever notice that? They don't crawl. You plop them somewhere, where are they going to go? Right there. You know where they're going to be. They're right there. And then one day they're able to roll a little bit. So you got to watch them a little more when you're changing them and stuff. But I mean, generally, they're not going to move anywhere. All right? We're just where we're born. We're helpless. And so in a real way, an infant, in the way he's describing that, that situation, they, they get moved around wherever they're going to get moved around. I mean, Garrett and Morgan didn't tell me where to set them down when they were infants. I just put them wherever I wanted them. You know, just stuck them there. Didn't want to be there. The best they could do if they didn't like it was to cry. 
That's the best they had. That was it. There was no arguing about it. It was like, we're going to stay here, or we're going to go over here, or we're going to sit over here, or you're going to sit right down here with me because I'm watching Star Trek, or whatever it is going on, it was on my schedule and what I was doing. And then, of course, they grow up and you're chasing them for the rest of your life. But at that point, they're on, they're doing what you're doing. And that's the way the Bible describes us when we're immature and when we're little, growing up in our faith. Well, we got to grow past that point, okay? Does that make sense to you? That there needs to be something beyond that? That we're not just being tossed to and fro in every conversation we're in? Does it make sense that we need to grow beyond that we don't have an opinion in any conversation we're in? Does it make sense that we need to grow beyond not being able to answer a question that's directly posed to us? Do you get that? That we're not being tossed to and fro by people and by their schemes and by what they want or whatever. That we grow up at some point. I grow up, you grow up, and we mature somehow. We need an ex- we need an expectation of that. God's called us to be a people of influence. And I really want to speak that over you today. That God has called us to be men and women of influence. And if we're going to do that, we need to grow up. If we're going to do that, we can't be afraid of people. If we're going to do that, we need to be a people that, that, that have and are recognizing or cultivating the words of life in us. And it may be a conversation where, where and this isn't always adversarial, I don't want you to get that idea. It may be a conversation, someone asks an opinion and says, well, what do you think about this person, that person? And you say, well, I think they're a lovely person. Or I really think we should give them a second chance. Or I really think this is a moment where we could show some grace or some mercy in this guy's life. Kind of like I'm talking about an ugly baby and Dave says, well, there may be a beautiful adult. Well, that could be. Thank you. Or they may be just as ugly when they're 20. But we'll, we'll think on the good things and the better things. We'll never know. Well, just move on with life. But the idea is, is that we, we have words of life in us. More than most people we know. You know? Because the Spirit of God is in us. And so with that Spirit, His Spirit in us, with Jesus in us, the words of life are in us. Out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water if we allow that. You know, Jesus had to stand up at the big feast and proclaim that he had to get up and do something with it for the rivers to flow and so we need to open our mouths for the rivers to flow and so and so respectfully and respectful of your personality and i and i mean that i want to challenge you to grow up and mature in your faith. And be the rivers and, and be that conduit of living water when you're given the opportunity. Not to shrink back, not to hide, not to try to get political and, and 
make everybody happy, not to please this person or that person, but just be the conduit of living water that God wants us to be. So for some of us, that's going to take a little bit of change in the mind. Because you may have been brought up with the idea of polite society is never rocking the boat. Well, from what I understand about polite society, rocking the boat is really a part of polite society. It's part of conversation. And it's good and it's okay. Especially if you're not a jerk about it. That is polite society. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at least, not to start an argument, but at least to say, you know, I, I don't agree with that. And just to let people know that you don't stand there with them. Right. And, and I, I think that that's honest. And even if you don't want to get into it with them, to at least let them know you're, you don't agree. And, and I've said to people, too, is like, I don't mind listening to you. I don't mind being a sounding board. I don't mind you talking to me. I, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. I want you to know, though, I don't agree with you, but I'm here for you. And those are, to me, that is a lot more productive in a relationship than just sitting there and saying nothing because if you say nothing, like you were just saying, if you say nothing in a conversation, the person that's talking to you believes that you agree with them. They will assume that. And that's just human nature. That's communication. They shared a mutual interest. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Spineless. Yeah. Yeah. We need a spine. Can we agree on that? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just a reminder of who you have called us to be. And I ask tonight that we would respond to you. And that we would recognize that you have put in us your Holy Spirit. And that Jesus, we, that you abide in us and us in you. And so there are words of life that are in us for our friends and our families and our co-workers and, and, and people that we, we see every day. And there are opportunities that are going to come up. We know they're going to come up where we can speak. And where rivers of living water can flow out of us into people's lives. I pray, God, that you will help us to grow up and and really be more mature in our faith and more mature in our relationship with you so that we can speak when it's time to speak and we can act when it's time to act. And I pray, Father, that that you would teach us to, to live in love and not fear in our life. And I rebuke fear over us. I rebuke specific fear that that makes us afraid of people and makes us afraid of their opinions. And I ask you, God, that in love we can stand. That we're not tossed to and fro. That we're not tossed around. Not, not having any say where we go or anything like that. But that we would grow up. We'd make our decisions. We would make our stands. And we live our life fully with your rivers flowing through us and out of us. So God, thanks for reminders. Thank you, God, for challenging us. I ask you, God, that we would respond in the days and the weeks ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming.